Well, welcome back to the Gathering Place Church podcast. It's been a few months. Sorry, it's been a, a little bit since I've been able to come on here and do a Bible study, a sermon recap. We've had uh, so much great change in our little family. We, well, I guess not so little anymore, but uh, if you didn't know, we added our fourth beautiful, healthy baby, Jacob Lee Cusick, to our tribe. And he's uh, just turned a month old and so grateful, so thankful. He had his second uh, week at church with us yesterday. Today's Monday at the time of recording. So he came to church on Sunday and thankful just to be getting back in the swing of things. And we're starting to get just a little bit more sleep. Um, so we're feeling a little more rested. And uh, But if you haven't been able to make it to a church service, I, I can't encourage you now more than ever, if you're a part of the Gathering Place community, to lean in, to plug in, to be connected, uh, because the Lord is just, He's meeting us in a very powerful and real way um, as we gather together in His name for His goodness, His glory, His purposes. Uh, but today, I want to, to look at the life of Elijah. And as we look at Elijah, we are going through uh, this study uh, in First and Second Kings, on the topic of New Days Old Demons and our men's Bible study. And we're talking about Elijah on Sunday morning. So I want to give some deeper insight, uh, do some of a little bit of a recap for you. Uh, but Gathering Place Podcast, glad to be back with you. Let's go. First Kings chapter 19. And just to give you a little context about the life of Elijah. Um, Elijah, as it says in James 5, 17, is that he was a man with a nature like ours. So we can get see these superhero type figures like Elijah throughout the pages of scripture and think that these are one off occasions or yeah, that's great for Elijah and, and God did that in his life, but God can never do something miraculous in my life. And as you study the life of Elijah, that's such a key understanding is that he was a man with a nature just like ours. And to kind of put it, the chronological order of, of what we see happen in, in Elijah's life, I like to put it this way. And starting in 1 Kings 17, you see Elijah being humbled. So you see his humility. 1 Kings 18, you see his heroism. And then 1 Kings 19, you see, which I want to look at today, how God deals thoroughly, softly, but firmly with our humanity. So we see his humility, heroism, and humanity. And wherever you find yourself, uh, in the just the the places that life takes you, I think it was C.S. Lewis who said that you're either going into a storm, you're in the middle of a storm, or you're coming out of a storm. And then the cycle kind of repeats. So there's the cyclical nature of life that we all, as human beings, we're going to deal with the same principle behind storms and mountains and valleys and good seasons, bad seasons, bad days, good days. And how do we make sense of it? But as Christians, we see it through a, a, a scriptural biblical worldview. And we know that we have hope in the lowest parts of our life. And we have help at the lowest parts of our life that there's healing available in the valley parts of our life. Um, but with Elijah, we see that 
God doesn't shy away as we get into his humanity from painting an accurate picture of Elijah's life. And we see in 1 Kings 18, which is the, the, the Super Bowl showdown between the prophets of Baal and Elijah, the prophet of God. And we see the, you know, the story of, of where fire is called down on the sacrifice onto the altar. And how um, Elijah got all the prophets, the false 850 false prophets together. Uh, Ahab was there. And uh, that is the fire didn't consume Ahab and the prophet of Baal's sacrifice. Then Elijah gets the attention of the people. He brings them in and says, here's what we're going to do. He had a ministry of mocking. He mocked, understand this, he mocked their God not the people, not the broken people. And he um, he brings the people in, the scripture says, and he begins to rebuild the altar of their God, that they had forgotten who God was, that he was a miracle-working God, that, uh, the, that God had a plan, purpose for their life, and they had strayed away and got into idolatry and wickedness. And so it says that he begins to get the 12, 12 different rocks that represent all the 12 tribes of Israel, and he begins putting them back together and reminding them who they are and God's plan for their life. So as he puts that back together, he then takes the, I believe, the reserves of water that were left because they were in a three-year drought and famine and dumps all that water on the altar. Again, just to mock their God that my God can consume a sacrifice that is drenched wet, that has a trench of water around it. And it was a form of baptism. He did it three times. And it just shows when a life is baptized in the water of the Spirit, that it is, it is fire retardant. And it is what causes your life to go up in flame for the purposes and plan of God. It's a sac- your life is a sacrifice when you're walking in the Spirit, prioritizing holiness, prioritizing um, living a life that's worthy of the high call of God, as it talks of in Ephesians. But we see in his humanity, he deals with four things. We see him deal with his fear, his failure, his fatigue, and his futility. In other words, just the fragility of life. And as we're given this portrait, um, we're reminded of how we deal with dark days, how we deal with moments as Christians when we're depressed or when we're oppressed, when we're, we uh, don't know uh, how we're going to make it out of the valley seasons of our life. And anyone who tells you that you're not going to get tired as a Christian, you're going to have infinite amount of energy, it's, I believe it's actually the opposite. When you're doing what God's called you to do, you're going to be worn out at the end of the day. When you're being present with your children, when you're engaging in the reality of, of what is your life and not numbing and escaping from it, it's going to cause a, a spiritual and physical fatigue. Uh, and Elijah, we're going to see in his fatigue how he responded to his humanity, to his flesh, and not to the Spirit of God. So Elijah just calls down fire from heaven. And after he calls down fire, and they... And toward the end of the, the book uh, or chapter, verse 18, says that he looks off into the distance and says that there's a cloud the size of a man's hand that begins to swell. 
and the storm be, begins to come and Elijah does the supernatural sprint and it, it, the scripture records I think it's 18 verse 46 that he pulls up his tunic and he outruns Ahab who was on the chariot down the hill to get ahead of the storm and as he runs to the bottom of the hill uh, he then uh, in verse 19 verse 1 is where I want to pick up it says this it says and Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done so Jezebel the wicked uh, princess of of King Ahab gets wind that yeah the storm clouds you saw Jezebel weren't because Ahab um, killed the prophet Elijah it's actually the opposite Elijah killed all the prophets of Bel and because the curse was undone Elijah was faithful then rain came back to God's people so Ahab goes and tells Jezebel the horrifying news in her mind and so she puts a death threat out and she says Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying so let the gods do to me and more also if you make your life as a life of one of them by tomorrow about this time and so other words what you did to all my false prophets Elijah I'm now going to do to you so there's a death threat there's a bounty on Elijah's head in verse 3 it says when Elijah caught wind of this when he saw that he arose and he ran for his life and went to Beersheba which belongs to Judah and left his servant there so Elijah isn't just running uh, but he is running for his life and as he runs for his life you just got to think of, of, of a man who called down fire from heaven, who at the word of his prayer, he, he said there would be a three-year drought. He, he had a supernaturally ran down a hill and outran a horse and chariots. But in his fatigue and in his humanity, in having just this spiritual high, now is experiencing a spiritual low and can't, doesn't feel like he can fight another day, doesn't feel like he can take on Jezebel. Uh, any longer so uh, in verse 4 it says he himself so he's by himself and this is this is our first point if you're going to not fall into spiritual fatigue and 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 give into your fear or listen to failure or given just really to the futility of how we're created and, and wanting being disparaging of your life wanting to end your life Elijah gets into that that's how bad this gets and um, it says that he himself in verse 4 went on a day's journey into the wilderness so he left his helpmate behind who would carry his armor who would be uh, an encourager to him even a point of accountability leaves uh, his his help behind and he went on a day's journey far into the wilderness and he says that he came and sat down under a broom tree and he prayed this he prayed that he might die and he said it is enough now Lord take my life for I am no better than my father's And if you read this you can hear the whiny undertone uh, that makes up Elijah here and he begins to uh, uh, he begins to complain he begins to get into self-pity and not only you got to know this about you and I is when you get into a place of isolation not being alone for the sake I'm getting away with Jesus and I'm filling up my my tank I'm filling 
my relationship with Lord, the Lord, I'm sitting at his feet. This is not the kind of isolation we're talking about. Elijah is running from God, running from his mission. And as he isolates himself, he then gets into a spirit of self-pity. He says what we just read that, am I no better than my father's? So he begins to complain and, 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 and throw himself a pity party. And we see kind of a coward and, and Elijah. So uh, what we've got to understand here is it's important to know the truth about ourselves. This is why God reveals this humanity, because God is not in the business of letting you put, put a facade over your life, but he's in the business of you knowing the truth about yourself and the truth about who your God is. So we see and we know um, that because Elijah's been to the places we've been, we know we can reach the places he's reached. So we don't want to be alone. We don't want to get into self-pity. We've got to be careful when we come off great victories, spiritual highs, maybe retreats, God touches us, we get filled with the Spirit, maybe a, um, a blessing comes into our life, whatever the circumstance is, we've got to be careful not to just go from high to low, high to low all the time, or uh, that's what gets us in trouble. So he self-pities, and in verse 5, we see a, another another uh, valley he gets into. It says, Then he, as he lay and slept under the broom tree, suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. Then he looked, and there by his head was a cake baked on coals and a jar of water. So he ate, he drank, and he lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is great for you. So he arose, he ate and drank, and he went in the strength of that food 40 days, 40 nights, as far as Horeb, the mountain of God. So Elijah is mentally, physically exhausted. He doesn't have an appetite. And as he lay asleep, an angel of the Lord visit him, visits him. And before, this is so important, before... Uh, God ever confronts Elijah before he ever says, what are you doing? How, why are you failing? Why aren't you being obedient? None of that happens. God is not angry. God is not mad. A lot of the times God gets, gets painted as, as an angry, mad God. But God comes to him and nurtures him. He gives him something to eat and something to drink and says, go back to sleep. So he sees the humanity of Elijah and isn't repulsed by it, but sees it and says, you know what? You need something to eat, you need something to drink, and you need rest. And when you're feeling depressed, oppressed, under a spiritual attack, sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is eat, sleep, and repeat. Eat, sleep, and repeat. And so he does this, and he he gets strength, the scripture says in verse 8, for 40 days and 40 nights to take on the journey to get back to Horeb. So he takes the cake, he takes the water, and in verse 9 it says, He went into a cave, spent the night in that place, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him. God speaks here after he feeds him and says, What are you doing here, Elijah? So he asks an open-ended question. He asks to provoke a response to get Elijah to flush out what's in him, to flush out the dysfunction, to flush out the insecurity. And we see with this question, this is typical of Jesus, this is typical of our Heavenly Father, that he asked the same question to Adam and his sin. When Adam sinned, they went and made fig leaves and hid. When God comes back to his appointed time of fellowship, he asks Adam, where are you? 
where are you? This is our appointed time of fellowship. I'm not mad at you. I'm not going to pour wrath out on you. But he says, where are you? Where are you? And this is the same tenderness, gentleness that he is dealing with Elijah here. And so Elijah responds. He says, I have been very zealous for the Lord of hosts. So he's still whining here. He's still flushing out what's in him and causing him his pain and wanting to run from Jezebel, not wanting to stand and fight. He says, for the children of Israel forsaken your covenant, tore down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left and they seek to take my life. Here's what Elijah does here. He's tired and hungry. He's full of self-pity. Here's what we see happen. He took his eyes away from who God is and he put it onto his circumstance. And this is just key for how we process and deal with life in the spirit is we can't take our eyes off God and put it on the problem. The minute you make your problem bigger than your God, you're destined to fail every time. So he says in verse 11, so God says this, God speaks and says, go out, stand on the mountain before the Lord and behold the Lord pass by. And a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. Man, what do we see here? Elijah, who was all about the big moments, fire from heaven, drought, initiated the drought and the famine, supernatural spurning down the mountain. The miracles go on and on with Elijah. So God is saying, you may think I'm only in these, in these places, the big parts, the earthquakes, the storms, but what I'm trying to teach you, and this is so important, what I'm trying to teach you is I am in the still small voice. And if you neglect the quiet place, if you neglect the secret place, the hiding place with your God, you will miss the still small voice looking for the spectacular. God is into the supernatural, not the spectacular. There's two di there's differences to this. And many times we think supernatural is equal to spectacular. When the supernatural can be found in the still small voice, in the quiet place, in the secret place that you've created for an altar for God to come and meet with you and dwell among you. I love what commentary says on this. This is orthodox patristic commentary. Some of my favorite, and this is the wells I pull in, in my sermon, the, the content and quality and translations, and, is, and it's so good, but it says this. It says, the Holy Spirit, a great and powerful wind, manifest his grace. So this is an allegorical picture of the Holy Spirit. Verse 11 and 12 says, it manifests his grace in a variety of ways in prayer. And some he rends the mountains of sinful passions and shatters the rocks of hardened hearts. And others he is like an earthquake, which is an inward sense of jubilation and exultation. Yet again in others he is a non-material fire. And finally in others he is a gentle breeze, which occurs when Christ comes to dwell in our heart. You can read that in Ephesians 3.17. So the gentle breeze of the Spirit and we are so busy as a people that we drive ourselves into burnout. We drive ourselves into depression because we don't make room for the gentle breeze of the Spirit to touch us, to fill us, 
to remind us of what is important and what brings God glory in our lives. So Elijah gets the message. He's got to get and build a place for the still small voice of God. And so he hears the voice of God. He get, God gets his attention. And as he gets his eyes off his circumstance and back on Nagan, he's then sent in verse 13 back on mission, back on co-mission with Christ. So it was when Elijah heard, or back on co-mission, mission with God. So it was when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle, went out and stood at the entrance of the cave, and suddenly a voice said, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts. And when you get into verse 13 and 14, he repeats himself because he's still eking out that whininess, that self-pity, and just singing the same song. And self-pity always sings the same song. And so God tells him in verse 15, once he gets a hold of himself, go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, anoint a king and then anoint Jehu, king over Israel, and Elisha, son of Shapheth of Abel, Melohah, and shall anoint as prophet in your place. And so we see he gives this mission and in verse 18, this is really what I love. Yet I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal in every mouth that has not kissed him. Wow. So the whole time Elijah thinks he's alone, he's isolated, nobody's with him, he's going to have to face Jezebel, Ahab, all the wicked prophets that are left, even though he just slaughtered all the wicked prophets on verse in chapter 18. But God reminds him, here's what you're going to do. You're going to go anoint. I'm going to bring Elisha in your life. Because here's the thing, if God can get you depressed and oppressed, then he can steal your assignment. He can steal the people that are coming after you, the generations, the legacy that he's put in your life. That not only was the enemy, not only was Jezebel, the spirit of Jezebel, after Elijah, but he was after, she was after Elisha and all that would come after Elijah. And in verse 18 again, that God says, hey, you might not realize this, and I know you've lost sight here for a minute, but this wasn't even on your radar, but you need to know I have reserved a remnant of 7,000 people who have not bowed the knee to the wicked, false prophet, ideologies, demonic agendas of Baal. And this gives me such hope for preachers and pastors and leaders who stand for truth, regardless if you get deplatformed, regardless of if they're going to kick you and demonetize you, regardless if there's a price you're going to pay, you might lose friendships, friends, people might unfollow you. Um, you've got to know that God always has a remnant and he will always have sitting in the queue and in the waiting a remnant that have not bowed the knee or kissed the mouth of Baal. So Elijah gets back to work. God restores him. And um, as he restores him, as Elijah is restored, we're, I'm reminded of how Peter was restored. You know, three times, if you love me, feed my lambs. If you love me, feed my lambs. And almost as though he takes the pain of what the peril, the problem, and the pain that was caused in our life, he takes that and he uses it and it becomes a strength of how then we go back to what God's called us to when we walked away. 
we have fresh vision, we have better perspective, we have a better attitude. And uh, we, we understand that we're not going to believe the lies that we've got to be perfect, that it's easier to avoid problems than face them. Um, we're not going to feel sorry for ourselves. We're not going to allow ourselves to just be tired and hungry and have a poor diet, not take care of our, our temple, our bodies. And we're going to keep our God, eyes on God and not on the circumstance. I want to leave you with this and, and just encourage you to study the life of Elijah because we need churches and leaders and, and people that are serving God to take it up a notch, to not be passive, not be controlling, but to be like Elijah where if Elijah didn't look for the fight, but when the fight came to him, he took it. He wasn't afraid to, to take a punch and he wouldn't pull a punch. But I love this. Someone said, I don't know who said it, but it's good. Focus on the world, you'll be distressed. Focus on yourself, you'll be depressed. Focus on God and you will be at rest. That's the place we want to be. We don't want to be depressed. We don't want to be distressed. But when our eyes are fixed on Jesus, we're going to be at rest. And we're going to be who God's called us to be. And we're not going to be susceptible to so quickly fall from one spiritual high to a spiritual low. So I pray this blessed you today. And uh, be sure, I, I'm repping my merch today, Gather the People Worship. We just released um, our first single, Anthem of My Life. You can find it everywhere music is streamed. You can get the merch at church on Sundays. Uh, but we would love to invite you to be a part and uh, of all God is doing here at the church and at Zion Christian Academy. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you. For everyone who's watching here, everyone who's take, t t took a minute on the ride to work or wherever they're listening, just to be encouraged by your word. Father, I thank you that we don't have to, we can learn from Elijah. He had a nature like ours. We don't have to fall to every blow of the enemy, every, every time we want to throw in the towel, but we can rise up in the spirit of Elijah and not be threatened, not be intimidated, not be a coward. We thank you that even when we do fall, you don't treat us harshly. You come and you nurture us. You get us to a place of restoration. You put us back on mission. Jesus, bless those that are apart, those that need help, hope, and healing. Let them turn to Jesus like never before in this hour, in these dark days. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.